healed and restored simply because of your love and your grace and your mercy. That who are we that you should look upon us with love, knowing that we bring nothing to this deal at all, that you bring all of it. You bring goodness and love and mercy and grace that covers sin, it covers shame, it covers everything we've ever done wrong, everything that we ever will do wrong. Your love has made the way for us. And so God, our cry this morning is that you take our lives and that you make us new wine. Because as we become new, we become more like you. We become more loving and more gentle and more forgiving, more full of grace and peace and patience with others and the world around us. Make us new wine, Father. Use all of the things that happen in our lives, the good and the bad, the things that we wish never had happened, the things that we are so happy that they happened. Use all of these things to make us new for your kingdom and your glory. And that is our prayer, Father, in the name of your Son. Jesus Christ. Amen. And you may be seated. Man, it's good to be with uh, church family today. I love that new song. Good job, band. Excellent job. Very good. Um, so, yeah, you can clap for them. Or is that for me? Oh, it's, oh, it's, it's for you guys. Um, so, I'm Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here. We're continuing our series on Second John. We've titled the series... Just a personal note, we outlined last week uh, how amazingly um, surprising it must have been for this elect lady, whoever she was, to receive this note from John. Uh, if you want to get a catch up on that, it's on the, uh, the YouTube channel from last week. We only have one more week left in Second John. I know normally we have these series, they go about 30 months, but this one is only three weeks and then we'll start Third John right after that. So um, <clears throat> today the title of the message is Loving One Another Carefully. So the culture of love that Jesus taught throughout his ministry on earth, quite frankly, is very intimidating, humanly speaking, right? I mean, the command to love one another is undeniable. It is also overwhelmingly pervasive. He doesn't leave any stone unturned in what he expects people that love one another to show and how they're supposed to show it. It's relentless, inside and out. And that command, while very intimidating, you can see how if Christians really love the way that Jesus taught us to love one another, <clears throat> you can see how um, appealing that would be to the world. But that command that he gives us to love one another is also, unfortunately, and this is the message that I'm going to be sharing today, it's also, unfortunately, a target for those seeking to take advantage of it. Can you relate? I mean, I'm just saying here in church what most churches or mo most people are afraid to say, which is people tr try to take advantage of the church. Have you ever felt duped? When your generosity and compassion was manipulated taken advantage of. Today, the passage we're going through in 2 John teaches us that our relentless love should come with a dash of healthy, balanced skepticism. And that's okay. There are people and times that Christians are supposed to say no to. Enough. And I'm going to give you the list. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know the. <laughs> Let's read the passage today. 
And now I ask you, dear lady, he's talking about this elect lady. We talked about her last week. Not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So <clears throat> that's the passage. Let's look at the history of the passage. What about what's going on? What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? I've entitled the historical section of this passage of this sermon, Scoundrels in the House. So apparently this elect lady who we talked about at length last week, pretty much it's very clear she was an incredible woman, a very influential woman, a resourceful woman. Uh, a woman who clearly had an incredible testimony of love and following of Christ and loving the church. She had a, a reputation for hospitality and compassion. And John reemphasizes the importance of something that apparently she was known for, which was she had this habit of showing relentless love to fellow believers struggling or hurting. Apparently, she had this pattern of when a child of God was hurting and was homeless or hungry, she would invite them into her home and feed them. She had a reputation and a long track record of following this command that John had written that Jesus had taught from the beginning, which is to love one another. The problem is, at this time in the history of the church, there are heretical freeloaders. The, re the, the, the immediate reason that John writes this personal note to her is that there is an invasion of false teachers. We have called them Gnostics. We've gone through that in detail over and over again. These false teachers would come into the homes of well-intentioned, hospitable believers following the command to love one another, just like apparently this elect lady would do all the time. And what John does in this personal note to her, he gives a disclaimer a warning about people seeking to take advantage of the command that Jesus gave us from the beginning, which is to love one another relentlessly. And he gives a warning about these people, even as they despise the truth of the gospel and who Jesus really is. They would come in and say, I'm a child of God. I'm hurting. Would you help me? She would say, or others would say, yes, of course, we'll help you. And then they would go around teaching their faults. Theology. Jesus is not really a man. The Spirit entered Jesus after he was born and then left right before he died. There really is no such thing as the physical world. Marriage is something that is just made up. Don't worry about it. Childbearing is stupid. Don't worry. And there is no, no sexual law of immorality. Don't just do whatever you want. This is what the Gnostics taught. There was no moral absolutes. And these people came in disguised as believers, and 1 John talks about this. They say they're of Christ, but clearly their life indicates they are not. But being good people, good believers, what was going on is people were inviting them into their homes as they were supposed to, and they were infiltrating the church. They were heretical freeloaders. And John says, I'm writing you this letter to warn you about the danger how being loving and hospitable without discernment will cause pain and danger for you, your family, and your church. Pain that will have a cost that God did not intend for the church to endure. When God said love one another, he did mean it that it should be sacrificial. 
but he did not mean it in such a way that it should be detrimental. Especially when it comes to important things like spiritual truth. So John says, look, you are to reject the Antichrists. He tells her to steer clear of assisting those, helping those, being generous to those who actively seek to undermine the work of the church. We're not talking about people who just don't believe. There are many of those. And we are to love and help those. He's talking about people who hate what you believe. Hate the gospel. Despise the church. He says in, in 2 John verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who, not do, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. He's specifically referring to Gnostic teachings about Jesus. Now, just a little side note on Antichrist. John refers to them a lot in this short letter. He refers to them in 1 John and some other places. There is a popular misconception out there that the Antichrist is this some sort of mythical, uh, incredibly powerful political figure that comes on the scene and influences a lot of people. When John talks about Antichrist, he is talking about false teachers. He's not talking about it in the eschatological sense that maybe people think about in the future. He's talking about there are tons of antichrists. Those who seek to bring pain to believers or to pollute the gospel. He's saying don't let them in. So that's the history. That's why this letter was written. Apparently this woman was very good at loving people. And he says, look, it's very clear you're a child of God. I see so many evidence of it. Your children are following Christ. You love people, and I want you to keep doing that, but do not love this type of person. Let's talk about the spiritual side. What about God? What does he do, and why and how does he do it? I want to talk about the culture of love. See, at the center of the command to love is the command to believe in the humanity of Christ as well as his spirituality. I'll explain that in just a minute. Christian hospitality, Christian charity, Christian generosity was a huge part of the culture taught by Jesus and his apostles. In matter of fact, the standard is pretty clear. No believer is to ever withhold necessities from another believer that truly professed the gospel if they needed it. And why is this? Because the reason they're tied together is because John teaches and Jesus taught and the apostles taught that Christ is not only God, he is also man. We've called that theanthropos in the past. I've taught you that. Theos, God. Anthropos, man. Theanthropos, he's the God-man. And the humanity of Christ is just as important as his spirituality. And this is the reason why Jesus says it is important not to neglect the body. It is important to meet the needs of those physically. Because your Lord endured all those temptations just as you have. He knows the pain of living on this earth. So at the center of the command to love is this teaching about Christ in the flesh. God and his humanity in Jesus is the hub of this passage. And here's why John often emphasized that Christ was a man, not just a spirit. It shows the reality of the fact that we too are human and we have needs. <clears throat> It's a big part of how Jesus and the apostles taught us to love one another 
and those around us. That our love for one another should go much farther than words. It will have several specific qualities. The first one is love is sacrificial, not selfish. Let me explain. Our love isn't motivated by recognition, manipulation, appeasement of guilt, or feelings of spiritual deficiency. That's the love the world specializes in. The kind of love that has this amazing gift wrapping, but is rotten at its core because it is centered on selfishness. The love that Jesus is talking about, this culture of love, is based upon sacrifice, not selfishness. Matthew chapter 5, 46 and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He says, don't just love those that it's easy to love. The love that Christ taught us to express isn't motivated by our benefit, but out of concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those in need. So love is sacrificial, not selfish. Another part of the culture of love that Jesus taught was love is surprising and not predictable. That's one of our core values at Grace Life, surprising generosity. Jesus says, what good is it to love your friends, to love those who love you back? I love this passage in Romans chapter 5, 7 and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So clearly, one of the things in this culture of love is it shocks people that, wait a minute, you would do this for me? I don't deserve that. So I want to make sure we're very clear as I go through this teaching about loving one another carefully, it is not contingent upon who you determine deserves it. I want to make that really clear. So the love culture of Jesus is surprising, not predictable. It's practical, not sentimental. This is important. See, the culture of love that Jesus teaches is not about how you feel inside. It's not moving, tremendously artistic words put to a song that make you cry. We're actually talking about meeting physical needs. It's practical, not sentimental. James chapter 2, 14, uh, 15 through 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Don't say that you love others and then aren't willing to give them what they need to survive. This is getting intimidating, isn't it? Well, Joe, that's endless. Yeah, it is. But the culture of love that Jesus taught is practical, not sentimental. It's easy to love with words, isn't it? It's easy to love with a hug. It's not as easy to love with the Benjamins, if you know what I mean. Love is relentless, not convenient. This is huge. The culture of love that Jesus taught says this, if our love for one another is convenient, well-managed, fits into our plans nicely, it's not really love, it's religion. 
It might be a kind gesture, some sort of pleasant virtue signaling to let people know where you stand on an issue or what you think about them, or simple politeness or southern hospitality. It's not really the kind of love that Jesus taught. You want to know the standard of love that he taught that is relentless and not convenient? Do you want to hear it or no? You, you do? Yes? Okay, good. I have a verse, as a matter of fact. Matthew chapter 5, 40 to 42. This is Jesus. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your coat as well. What? It's a nice coat. I don't want to give it away. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. All right, preacher, now you stop talking and gone to meddling. It's time for you to stop. But the fact of the matter is, if we embrace the truth and the spirit dwells in us, we will love one another in these ways. Let me back up just so you can see it again. Love is sacrificial, not selfish. Love is surprising, not predictable. Love is practical, not sentimental. Love is relentless and not convenient. I hope I've done a good job of defining you how passionate and all-consuming the love for one another command that Jesus taught is. And he says in Romans 13, 9, the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment you can think of, any other religious thought, all are summed up in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Got it? Now let's talk about love with boundaries. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? Because what we just laid out is uh, pretty expensive. Emotionally, financially, spiritually. So the, the uh, social media campaign we have during the week, this week, this is what I put out there. Beware of those who try to take advantage of God's command to love one another. Look, I'm just saying what everybody else is afraid to say in church. Sometimes we even feel guilty thinking about it this way. But the fact is, church, our love should not be thrown out as a doormat to be abused. To cause your family to go bankrupt. To hurt your children, to hurt one another. To put in jeopardy the future of God's church. The reality is this, when God's people are surprisingly generous and loving, we become a magnet for all types of people, and that's good. Most of which really, really need our love and our help and our support. But there are rare times when they mean to harm us or they're dangerous. That's right, I said it, they can be dangerous. I'm not even talking about people who don't believe the way we do. We want to show them surprising love and generosity. But what's the proper balance between sacrificial, surprising generosity and protecting ourselves from those who seek to take advantage of our passion to love and help hurting people? How do we handle those who don't care about the gospel? Maybe even laugh at it scoff at it, ridicule us for embracing it? What about those who might be a danger to our church or our families? 
Matter of fact, Jesus gives us a great verse. Jesus says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Isn't that good? So be wise as serpents. Whoa! But innocent as doves. Jesus himself says, I'm sending you out into a world that wants to devour you. So you need to be wise like a snake. But innocent as a dove. That's how we are supposed to be Christ followers. Wise as snakes, yet innocent as doves. Isn't that a good verse? Jesus has a way of saying stuff good, doesn't he? He's like, like he's God or something. I don't know. <laughs> Look, we have to guard against being so critical and cynical in ways that overpower our responsibility, right, to love. I get that. Because one of the core values at Grace Life <clears throat> is this idea of surprising generosity. And our goal in this little church that we started almost two and a half years ago is that we shock people with our love and care by how we invest not just our treasure, but our time and talent in their lives. Do we have ulterior motives when we love these people relentlessly? You bet we do. But our ulterior motives are not self-serving. When we seek to love those through the culture that Jesus taught us through surprising generosity, we are hopeful that they allow us to speak into their lives. When we seek to love them, we hope that they grant us the privilege, and it is a privilege that we earn, of walking along side by side with them so they can enjoy the benefits of being surrounded by God's family. And so they can learn the joy of experiencing the grace life with us. The supernatural transformation that comes through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's also why he gives us this verse in 1 Peter 5, 8-9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Some versions translate that tear you limb from limb. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. True Christian love, true Christian love that's outlined by those four qualities we talked about just a few minutes ago. True Christian love is discerning. It is not foolish. And there's a big difference. John teaches us today as he writes this note to this elect lady, this personal note, says that we must strive to make our love, get this now, we, make, we must make sure our efforts to love those around us are constructive and not static. In other words, we don't just love someone so they can stay in the status quo. We want our love, our surprising generosity to be a catalyst and an agent for change in our community, in individual lives. We hope that our surprising generosity, our culture of love, is a runway, a huge, massive runway to intimate relationships, not abusive, selfish ones, or ones that provide destructive enablement. We also protect our surprising love and generosity 
from these pitfalls by protecting ourselves in these two most important ways. You ready? The spirit within us. The elect lady clearly had that. If you're a child of God, you have the spirit. John talked about it in his first. And I think I think second John was like an attachment to the to the to first John. That's what I think. And so they're kind of meant to go hand in hand to a certain degree. And in first John, he talks about this. You know that you are going to stay and love the body of Christ because the spirit dwells in you. So the spirit in you gives us this ability to be discerning about how we love. But it doesn't stop there. Because if you think you can love people on your own, you're crazy. Because the spirit within those around us is just as important as the spirit that is in you. The elect lady had John. We have each other. We have our mercy team that is relentlessly on the front lines, in the trenches, representing you with your dollars and resources that you'd give to Grace Life to make sure that our relentless, surprising love and generosity to others meets these requirements of discernment. And together, we take the discerning, relentless love for others very seriously. Thereby, with wisdom and discernment through the spirit within us and the spirit within each other, we maximize this love of culture's impact in the lives of those around us. It is a crucial component of living the grace life. If we are just a unique church with no building and staff that doesn't relentlessly love with discernment, then it's kind of pointless for us to keep going. But we believe so firmly that a huge part of the grace life is this culture of love mixed with this wisdom of discernment to make sure that our love is constructive, not static. And that's why John wrote to the elect lady, you are so good at loving people. Keep doing that. But listen, there are those out there that aren't deserving of what God has given you. And if we're not careful, he actually says this, we'll lose everything we have worked for. That's what he says. Let's pray. Dad, we want to embody fully all those four qualities of what the love culture is supposed to look like. But at the same time, we ask, we beg that you would help us to be discerning And understanding that there are times that we, for the benefit of those who we have not even loved yet, we need to say no. We want to make sure that we have the highest standard of wisdom. Because we want our relentless love to be a magnet for all kinds of people. But we also know that the world is a cruel place. Help us to be as shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves. 
Amen. Brothers and sisters, uh, this is the moment in our service where we're going to invite the team to come through as we collect our tithes and our offerings um, today. Please know that whatever you give to contribute financially at Grace Life goes to not only produce our services on Sunday morning,